0: This week on Hacker in the Fed, Hector and I have a fascinating conversation with Kelly Moan, the Chief Information Security Officer of New York City. During our conversation, Kelly gives us tips for getting into cybersecurity and talks trends in cyber threats against the city. You're going to be blown away by the number of cyber incidents targeting New York City each week. Please enjoy our conversation.
1: Hector Monseager was responsible for some of the most notorious hacks.
0: Former ever. FBI Special Agent
2: Chris Tarbell.
1: Hackett and FBI informants participated in some of the world's most infamous hacks that caused up to $50 million in damages. A life in the shadows. Cyber attacks on the rise.
0: Welcome to Hacker in the Fed. I'm Chris Tarbell, former FBI special agent, working my entire career in cybersecurity, and now a founding partner at Naxo. I'm joined, as always, by my friend and podcast co-host, Hector Monsigur. Hector's a former black hat hacker who once faced 125 years in prison for his many years of hacking under the code name Sabu. Our stories collided in June of 2011 when I arrested him and convinced him to work with the FBI. Hector is now a red teamer, researcher, and cybersecurity expert. Hey, Hector, how's it going?
2: Uh, Pretty good, my friends. I'm happy, uh, you know, the week is almost over. How about yourself?
0: Good, good. Things are going great. I'm super excited about this week's episode, Hacker in the Fed. We are joined by Kelly Moan, and Kelly is the Chief Information Security Officer, or the CISO for New York City. Kelly, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Oh, thanks. So, can we start off and just can you tell our audience what is a CISO?
1: What is a CISO? Um, So, in my role in New York City, uh, I'm I'm charged with protecting New York City from cyber attacks, and so that looks a little bit differently depending on what kind of CISO you are for what organization. But here, here in the city, um, that means you know we've got a workforce of over three hundred fifty thousand civilians, uh, uniform personnel. We've got a hundred plus city agencies. Uh, if you can imagine, New York City is a smart city, so we've got everything under the sun to protect and defend against.
0: Part of your role is that you lead the Office of Technology and Innovation Cyber Command. What is New York City Cyber Command?
1: So, New York City Cyber Command is think of us as essentially a managed security service provider for city agencies. So, we run 24 by 7 security operations, uh, incident response. Um, we, we essentially protect and see attacks that are occurring over the dome of New York City, essentially, uh, and work closely with our, our partners at city agencies to ensure that they're protected. And we're also doing some of that blocking and tackling for them as well.
0: So, and then prior to joining New York City, um, you worked as the CISO for, well, you were in the New York City Police Department, and then you also had some federal time in. Can you kind of go through your history?
1: Sure. Um, So before I was the CISO of New York City, I was at one of the agencies, right? Um, I was the CISO of um, New York Police Department, which is a very large organization and very advanced in what it does. Um, And then prior to that, the majority of my career I spent in D.C. supporting the federal government, most recently in the Department of Homeland Security, worked my way up through the ranks there. Um, My last role, I was the Division Chief of Security Architecture and Engineering for them, Deploying emerging security technology, zero trust things of that nature, um, and then in the past I did a couple stints as a contractor at Northrop Grumman supporting the DoD and US Cert uh, formally NKIC. kick right, and then I also had spent some time years ago um, when next gen AV was the buzzword of the year at an endpoint security startup firm um, also supporting the the federal government, so a little bit of you know, experience in in different uh, sectors, which has been awesome to kind of bring into this role here in New York City.
0: So, and you have an undergraduate degree from American University and a graduate degree from Penn State. Uh, Those have to be big cyber degrees, right?
1: Oh, that's hilarious. No, not at all. Um, And that's what I think is wild about cybersecurity in general. You absolutely do not need a degree to get into the field. And that's, I'm sort of a, a testament to that, right? Um, I think, uh, growing up, even though I'm, I'm still, you know, relatively young, I would say, um, the degrees, cybersecurity degrees out there really didn't exist in a really fulsome way or was just starting. Um, and quite honestly, when I was in college, I, I chose American university to be in DC to have opportunities to get into, you know, have opportunities to get into jobs, career field. Um, but my undergraduate degrees in international relations and Russian language, and it was only until, after college, that I realized, wait a second, I'm constantly surrounded by technology. I'm really curious about solving these really complex problems. And I, you know, through mentorship and and talking to some friends of mine who are in the industry, found myself in an opportunity to get into cybersecurity. Everything I know, I learned on the job, or taking certifications to get that technical acumen up.
0: So my guy was a guy named Sergeant Sid Hartman. He was a sergeant at the police department in James Madison University where I went where I went to school. And he was told me one day, he said, the wave of the future in in crime fighting is cyber. You know, computers are going to be involved in anything. Do you have that that Sid Hartman? Do you have that one person who kind of flipped that switch? Or did you come to this conclusion on your own?
1: I want to say that I've had a number of people like that in my life. It's interesting. I think as a person who had all the opportunity in the world, I would say, to be exposed to cybersecurity as a field, I just never really considered it. It took me kind of learning more about myself and then being around people who really were passionate about the field to realize, wait a second, this is the future? That person talking in my ear over many, many different job experience made me realize, wait, I, I've got to learn this stuff. And I've got to learn it quick because, you know, the, the tech is only ever evolving. Um, cybersecurity is being talked about more. Even in 2023, the techniques are evolving in, as a, a cyber professional or, you know, in the community of cybersecurity. We are always trying to stay one step ahead of the attacker.
0: Yeah, I don't know if you know Hector's unique uh, entry point into cyber himself. Hector got into cyber, I believe, prior to your involvement with NYPD. NYPD would throw their computers out onto the streets as they threw them away. And Hector picked them up and then taught himself cyber skills. Uh, Am I misleading her at all, Hector?
2: No, I mean, that was part of it. That was part of the journey. Once I became interested, I would just walk by the PSA 4 over there on 8th Street between D and C. And there was a migration, like there was a split between. I think they took officers out of the ninth precinct and the seventh precinct, and brought them over to that new facility or that new uh, building. And yeah, they just tossed a ton of computers out there, and I would just walk by, scoop them up, and take them home, and put you know, kind of put them together.
0: I had a bunch of Frankenstein's at home. Oh, wow. So I'm sure NYPD has since changed their practices of just dumping oh, computers yes. on the sidewalk. <laughs> Physical security is one part I'm sure you brought to the department. So
1: I think cybersecurity in general, for folks who haven't gotten to the field, who are looking to get into the field, you, it doesn't take a lot to learn, right? I think the, the fact that there's open source tools out there to learn the, the omnipresence of the cloud and you know availability of technology that you know five ten years ago was cost prohibitive makes again achieving something in this field or at least sparking the creativity or the excitement to continue to pursue you know training and, and opportunities to learn more like is readily available to anyone this day you know if you've got internet connection or some means to get online you can make it happen for yourself which is awesome.
0: One of the big things when I joined the Bureau and came into New York City, you know, the director wanted us to really push these partnerships with the private industry. Uh, And really, I I felt it was like kind of a way of just milking information out of them or having insights. Uh, But, you know, the goal really was to have, you know, that liaison relationship. So when an incident happened, uh, you know, we could reach out and they had a point of contact. We had a point of contact. What what is your office doing for this uh, public-private interaction?
1: So we are very, very focused on public-private. I will say I'm a realist when it comes to public-private partnerships, and I think that's a good thing. Um, and by realist, I mean making them a reality and making them valuable, right? I think I've said this to a number of different entities when we work on partnership agreements with them. You don't want to hear my voice for the first time um, in the middle of an right? You don't want to meet my incident responders the first time in an incident. Ideally we have a human to human relationship before that and so that they know that we're friendly. Um, so on the public-private partnership front in early 2022 mayor Adams and Governor Hochul uh, announced the Joint Security Operations Center, which is really a partnership between the New York City uh, and New York State to tackle cybersecurity really what I consider to be a whole of society approach, which means, public-private partnerships. Now, the nice part is in terms of value, the value we bring to the table in New York City is we're so big. So we see a lot. And because we see a lot, we this isn't just a cookie cutter partnership. This is, if we're seeing an ongoing campaign, we're going to tell you about it. And we're going to make sure that, you know, you have the relevant hunt package or blocks in place or observables, IOCs, right? Depending on the maturity of the organization that we're working with, right? Not every organization understands what a hunt package is. You know, most private firms do, but, you know, some don't if they're on the smaller side. And then that includes the law enforcement side and obviously federal partners as well. I like to consider, you know, what we see in New York City as an opportunity to have an early warning for the community writ large. So that if we are able to stop something and provide value so that the federal government and our partners can take action um, to stop it before it happens to some other entity, then we've done our job. And I really think New York City is the model um, for what we've built on that realm for the other regions in the United States to model off of, because it really has proved incredibly valuable. And I think you hear about this a lot. uh, 89% of critical infrastructure is private sector. So if you think about shared fate, it's incredibly important that they they work with us, we work with them, and, you know, we're able to share best practices and information that they might not have seen on a broader scale.
0: So I don't know if you know this or not, but Hector's a huge nerd. He tries to pull me into his nerd world all the time. So uh, (laughs) can we nerd out a little bit? You said something about 90 million incidents?
1: 90 billion events.
0: A year? That's what you guys are seeing? A week. Oh my God. How are you guys not buried?
1: I know. Well, that's automation for you. I have a really great team, and they've whittled down the 90 billion or so on average events per week to around 8,300 or so alerts. Uh, And so at any given week, we're working 50 to 60 incidents. Now, of course, I know you two know, but not every incident's, a really bad one, not every incident's a solar winds, right? Like we've seen in the past. Um, these could be very simple, you know, a, a user trying to log into their account too many times and getting locked out um, to, you know, a phishing email that makes it through our defenses, any number of different incidents. But it, it does require a significant amount of um, automation at scale to make that um, telemetry number like more uh, digestible for the security operators to actually action.
0: So we wouldn't be buried. Sure. So I, I don't want to give any holes in your defenses or anything like that, but what, what sort of trends are you seeing in sort of attacks?
1: Yeah. So I think writ large, we've all still been shields up since the conflict in Russia and Ukraine started last year. That's not going to change. It's been very interesting to see how, the types of attacks, I think phishing still is the number one, right? I think you'd I think you find that across any enterprise, um, even one as large as ours. But I think what's been really interesting that I've been watching is you're seeing a number also, I think in the industry, ransomware is obviously top of mind, but there's also this concept of just ransom without the wear, which I don't think people realize happens, right? It doesn't matter sometimes if malware's dropped. It's the fact that a threat actor is holding your data for ransom um, because it could be a, a publicly a black eye for you if it gets released, right? And so we see that, like, we've seen that across, I think, the industry. And then obviously, we're tracking very closely threat actor groups that really just want to publicly shame an entity saying, oh, I took down your site or I, I was able to pull this data when it turns out that data is open source and publicly accessible already Um, So we we've seen a lot of that. I think that's no different than what you'd find in like a single enterprise. But what we see is we have obviously 100 plus agencies. So we can have any, you know, um, any different types of tactics and techniques going on hitting. If you think about it, uh, every single sector that you can imagine is under New York City. So we've got a whole myriad of um, TTPs that we're always tracking and worried about.
0: Yeah, no. Hector and I are also seeing the same trend where it's it's kind of going away from the uh, the ransomware, more of the exfiltration, and I'm going to se- uh, you know sell it back to you, or you know ransom you for not having exposed it one interesting thing we just covered a story a couple of weeks ago is that they're now going into the regulatory space and they're saying you know in your government if this gets exposed that i did this um you owe four x we're just asking for x so it's a much cheaper approach if uh, you just pay us and we don't tell the world that you did it because your government's going to charge you so it's an interesting dynamic an interesting change that the the cyber criminals are doing
1: yeah i feel like they're becoming more of savvy business people in a sense.
0: Unfortunately, they are.
1: You know, it it gets difficult. It gets difficult. But I mean, if you're there to make a buck, right, it makes sense. Um, It's our job to kind of predict what could happen and be prepared for when and if it does.
2: I just want to kind of jump in here and just ask a random question. I would say the first question, well, give some context. The Pentagon and DOD, the U.S. Army and the Air Force have done um, open bug bounty programs where the payments were challenge coins. And people love challenge coins. And I'm very excited to hear of the work that you're doing, uh, especially as someone that's from New York City, and I'm, I'm a nerd and I'm, I love cyber. I've been doing it for a long time. With that being said, would you be open to introducing some sort of citywide bug bounty program where you may, um, you know, set some limits? Maybe it'll be New York City-specific security researchers. Maybe you can open it up much broader, Is that something that that has come up uh, in conversation?
1: Oh, Hector, you stay tuned. All right. Um, I absolutely believe, I think, first off, demystifying what, again, depending, if you're in the profession, you know the difference between a bug bounty and a vulnerability disclosure program, right? But I don't think, like, more broadly, the public does. But I think the reality is, is that people are going to poke around our public systems. So, I'd rather I'd rather know about the bad than on the front end than be caught up in an incident on the back end. So I think what the you know hack the I think what was it was hack the Pentagon is a yeah. Re- yeah it's a really cool concept and I was in the feds around the time that that was getting launched and I just kept thinking wow that would be awesome to be able to do and like be very pr- you know proud about that rollout. Um, I have high hopes for New York city and I think you'll be, you know, pleasantly surprised in in the next bit of time um, with what we've got cooking.
2: That's awesome. I actually have a hack the Pentagon challenge coin. And uh, I almost had had a U.S. army one, but uh, unfortunately I, I threw in a bunch of duplicates, but, um, but yeah, no, that's, that's great to hear. And again, I'm very excited by that. I would ask as part of your initiative, um, I know that you guys have, you know, you're, you're monitoring events, you're, you're kind of handling you know, instant response and doing all these really cool things for these agencies. There was a report that uh, Chris and I read a while back from the Department of Interior where they audited a number of unnamed agencies and organizations within the government. And they identified anywhere between 21 to 30 percent of Active Directory users for former employees that were still active. Uh, of course, they didn't mention which agencies that were. And without giving too much, I would say, uh, technical details on your end, is that something that you guys are looking for? And how do you handle that when you uh, when employees are leaving or they're fired or released? A- any insights on that would be great, because this was a report that we read, and it was fascinating for the audience.
1: Uh, first off, great question, because onboarding and offboarding, if you think about the protection of identity, I think is where, uh, just again, in the industry it's easy if you screw it up for that account to get compromised like dormant accounts shouldn't exist right so we we do have robust onboarding offboarding procedures each agency does but i will say in general if we find things that are going against you know basic cyber hygiene we always work with the agency to say okay let's let's fix the the access control you know an identity provisioning Um, process that you've got here. Let's, let's level up the maturity Um, because you're right. I think, you know, protecting identities is paramount to defense of, you know, systems. Um, And and we don't want to let those identities live out there, especially if they have a mailbox tied to them when the employee is no longer with them. And in, in general, beyond that, educating our workforce to be cyber aware we have uh, citywide cybersecurity awareness training and curated content, depending on the type of user that they are, so that they understand that yes, we have security protection in place, but at the end of the day, cybersecurity is a team sport, and you've got to, you know, you've got to know what a fish looks like uh, and be able to know where to report that. Um, so we take that super seriously and are always. Uh, looking for ways and trying to, you know, educate our community about what they can do to, to protect themselves and the city at large.
2: Yeah, that that's that's great. I'm I'm glad to hear that. You know, I'm always big on progress. Like right now, you know, my day-to-day job, I am a red teamer. I'm always on the offensive. And I had a great question that someone asked me the other day, which was, well, what makes the job exciting for you? Is it the hacking? I'm like, no. Um, is it the, uh, the idea of maybe discovering something unique, maybe finding a zero day or something? I'm like, no, nah, not really. What I really like about the job is seeing progress and actually helping an organization mature their security program. You know, it, it's devastating to me, believe it or not, when I'm dealing with a client over a period of years and I'm doing an audit on year one and by year two or year three, the same security issues are still there. Right? So now we start talking about maybe a lack of vulnerability program or management, maybe issues with asset management. Maybe the organization has legacy systems it cannot remove, which leads me to my next question. So we know that IRS is, is notorious for having really old legacy systems, still running COBOL in many cases. I know New York City is a very old city. How do we modernize the city, the software, the hardware? And so, I mean, even though you look at an organization like the MTA, where they have you know, proprietary software and hardware, how do you deal with that moving forward as a city?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um so I'll kinda of answer that in a couple of different parts. First, technology modernization if you've ever been work if you've ever worked in any organization, enterprise, private, public sector, doesn't matter. It's always hard, right? Pick the things that need to get modernized, ideally not lift and shift and focus on them, making sure that you have the money and the people and, and the time to get it done. What the city's approach really has been, and I think it's, again, a hallmark of the administration, is in 2022, You know, Mayor Adams took office and immediately uh, jumped into action and made technology a priority by announcing the Office of Technology and Innovation through Executive Order 3, uh, headed up by my boss, um, Chief Technology Officer Matthew Frazier, and Purpose behind that really was let's bring all of these sort of disparate technology or technology adjacent entities into one shop, one home under one head who can instantiate technology optimization, modernization, or even rationalization citywide um, from one kind of authority. And that meant taking, you know, the Office of Information Privacy 311. Mayor's Office of Data Analytics, for example, um, Do It and Cyber Command, to name a few, into one organization. So now when we, you know, when we look about technology modernization across the city, we focus on the areas that need it the most and partner with agencies to figure out, okay, does it make sense to to modernize in this way? Or, you know, maybe we, we realign a bit and standardize on technology that, you know, more broadly, the city is using. So it's been a really exciting year and and three months or so watching the city take leaps and bounds in terms of modernization. And on the security side, it's always exciting to find creative ways to get them there, right? Um, I always like to say, you know, you're, you're, you're modernizing and w- we can secure anything. We just need to know where you want to go. And so on the back end, we're making sure everything's secure as it's getting modernized, which has been really cool for not just me, but also for my team to see as part of this larger technology entity.
2: The thing that uh, bothered me, it was difficult for me as a security practitioner that wanted to be involved in the city some way, is that I had no idea whatsoever. I had no idea how to apply for a job there or even, um, you know, get acquainted with folks that dealt with security. So for the audience, especially those here in New York City, if someone wanted to get involved in a security job, starting a career path or or kind of transferring over uh, to work for the city, what's the process? Uh, Is there a website? Is there anything that you recommend for the audience to kind of uh, start that path?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So there's a couple different ways to get engaged. So I like to say you can always go to nyc.gov slash jobs. And then even on the nyc.gov slash OTI website, it actually lists um, all the jobs available at OTI, including Cyber Command jobs, or just in general, IT jobs, uh, customer service jobs, you name it, UX UI designers. If something isn't a fit, there's also an opportunity where you can always ask the agency head page on NYC.gov, which is a you know a method of intake to ask a question or provide a comment, um, and that's also on the NYC.gov um, slash whatever agency you're interested in talking to. So in our case, OTI, um, and what's great is that that gets routed to the right teams to then you know say, oh, we want to get they want to get involved um, in terms of entities or organizations that want to partner for the Joint Security Operations Center and partner with New York City Cyber Command. um, That's absolutely something, you know, my office would take care of. And the same kind of method, right? I think in the nyc.gov slash OTI page, you can shoot us a note and um, we'll follow up and and get engaged on that front. Because we're always looking for we're always looking for partners and, um, you know, critical entities in New York City that want to protect themselves and may need some help protect getting protected.
2: Oh, that's fantastic. It kind of reminds me of, um, and, and, and a big shout out to another great woman like yourself, uh, Jen Easterly at, uh, at CISA. I'm a big fan of CISA. Uh, they've done amazing work. I love the alerts that they're kind of pushing out, too. Um, not only agencies, but to to uh, you know uh, to to private organizations and companies, if you find from your perspective, from your ends, um, that there's a trend of of uh, let's say a nation state without mentioning names, uh, attacking New York City organizations, they may not be within your umbrella, right? they may not be part of the New York City government, but you guys are finding that trend. Is there a way for you to communicate with those organizations or set up alerts very similar to like the CISA.gov website?
1: Yes. So I really, I really was serious when I said whole of society. I know my team hears this from me all the time. Did you reach out? Did you tell them what we're seeing? Um, they can take it or leave it, but if we're seeing something, we're going to try and make contact. And I would say, given the, the, the breadth and the, sort of the size and scope of New York City, oftentimes we have contact or a contact of a contact that we're engaged with already that we're sharing that information. If we don't, right, even if it's uh, a neighboring state or um, a, a small business, for example, you know, that means also partnering with our law enforcement partners, CISA partners to say, oh, we're, we're seeing this. I know that when we when we see an emerging campaign, more often than not, we're on the front end of that, sharing with partners. And ultimately that gets rolled up into some of those alerts that then the community sees that CISA does put out. And so it's really exciting to be able to contribute back to the community like that. And I really, I think that's one of our hallmark responsibilities at large. Let's
0: take a quick break and talk about our sponsor, HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients, and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. No worries if you're not a pro in the kitchen, HelloFresh's foolproof recipes arrive pre-portioned and easy to prepare in just a few steps. With HelloFresh, you're getting seasonal ingredients picked at peak ripeness for quality you can taste. Ingredients travel from the farm to your home in less than seven days, so you know they're fresh. And I'm really excited that HelloFresh has partnered with and The Fed. My family has been using HelloFresh for years. With two working parents, two busy kids, HelloFresh has taken the hassle out of our mealtime for my family. Also, April is Earth Month, and HelloFresh is always committed to a cleaner planet. Nearly all HelloFresh packaging materials are curbside recyclable in most areas of the United States. Go to HelloFresh.com slash HATF50 and use code HATF50 for 50% off, plus your first box ships free. Again, go to HelloFresh.com slash HATF50 and use code HATF50. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Can we talk a little bit about how to become a cybersecurity professional in New York City? Like, what is an entry-level job position? What does that look like?
1: So what I'm really proud of in New York City is, you know, to we're, we're actively looking for really anyone at any stage of their career to get into cybersecurity. And the barrier to entry isn't what you sort of read about uh, in the news sometimes saying, oh, I need um, a bachelor's degree and, you know, 10 years of experience for entry level. Obviously, that's hyperbole. But I sort of chuckle because, quite honestly, some of the best folks that I know in the field don't have a college degree sometimes at all, right? And they are really, really sharp. And they've done that through, you know, perseverance and, you know, growing their skill set. So, you know, we're looking in terms of entry level. We're looking for those same types of qualities, right? Like talent, ability to learn on the fly, intellectual curiosity. I don't think you can teach curiosity. Um, and so when you find it in folks, regardless of their experience level, you want to kind of get them on board and bring them into the fold and teach them how to, you know, get into the, any number of career options that you can have in cybersecurity. I will say a lot of times I encounter folks who say, oh, I want to be a pen tester, which again, awesome, awesome career path. But I think a lot of um, a lot of the public or the, the, the people that are trying to get into cybersecurity sometimes don't realize that that foundational work of being, you know, entry level SOC analyst, right, who's understanding how to look for bad um, or what bad really could look like from worse, right, versus a vulnerability analyst. Can, do you know how to build a vulnerability scanner and what essentially it does? Those are type of the foundational skills that if you want to become, let's say, a pen test, pen tester, you can absolutely do, but you've got to make sure that you've got some basis of foundational knowledge of understanding. So we're hiring really all kinds of cybersecurity professionals at every stage of their career. Sometimes we have folks that really have no cyber specific background, but they come from IT background and they're. They've broken a few devices, right? They've learned a couple things. And on the flip side, we also have developers who are, we're teaching cybersecurity who are focused in on automation, for example, right? On average, we see a significant number of events in the 90 billion or so per week. The only way you can you can tackle that number of, you know, that scale of cybersecurity investigations is to distill that number down through automation. And that means you need developers to do it, right? So we're really hiring across the board. And I think making sure that candidates know that there's an opportunity for you to come into the city and work in city government, right? Knowing that that um, experience can only, I always joke to folks, it's 10x when you leave city government, right? You're going to have exposure to the most basic system, right? Windows device to the most advanced when you're talking about emerging tech like IoT and critical infrastructure. So it's a really good, I think, pathway for a candidate to tell a story about their experience and get a breadth of experience being able to, you know, protect and defend all these different types of technologies.
0: So you said a lot there. There's a lot to unpack on what you just said. First, I don't think it's, you say it's hyperbole. I don't think it's hyperbole. There are a lot of job postings out there that want entry level with 10 years system admin experience and all that. Um, So it's a crazy landscape. And Hector and I have tried to, you know, show our passion in cybersecurity. You know, we get messages every week on how do we get in? How do we get in? And then we interviewed Bill Gardner a couple weeks ago. and He is the head of a Marshall University cyber program. And he's saying that more and more companies, and this might not be New York City, so you might not be able to speak to it, are using AI as the first pass on uh, resumes um, and picking up keywords. And, and so that worried some of our listeners that, that maybe they don't have the right keywords on their resume. You know, I was in the government. I understand bureaucracy and that sort of thing. How is New York City getting past that and getting that passion? Those people that have, you know, have the passion for cybersecurity and maybe not the the college degree, maybe not the certifications. How are you guys finding those candidates?
1: So it's really going to depend. I think we've taken a more holistic approach to recruitment for us. There's not a a flashy keyword that will automatically qualify you or not. Right. I I come from the the federal government and that was always the sort of the running joke of make sure that you have this word in the job description equates to the word that you have. I see a lot of resumes that are very general So if you have experience and you built, I don't know, you, you ran a vulnerability program and maybe you know how to build scanners, like use those examples in your resume, because as soon as you, as a hiring manager, as soon as you see those key examples and those tangible, oh, this, this person has experience with one technology because as hiring managers, the reality is you're not going to get perfect. What we're looking for is someone that, train and that believes in the mission of what we're doing and is generally you know a good person to work with team player has a good attitude and has some drive to them and integrity right so I think focusing on those talents and then bringing out in the resume you know what tangibly you've done in this space that you can speak to I don't know about you too but I find that typically you've got experience as a cyber defender more so on the network side, sometimes the host, but you're not always gonna get somebody who has both. So no matter what, there's gonna be a learning curve, making sure that you're able to identify, oh, this person has this this person's brain works a certain way when they start, you know, answering questions about how they solve for a hard cybersecurity problem or how they work through a problem is a good way to identify. And then in terms of outreach you know, focusing on different communities that can come, that can bring different, you know, diversity of perspective or thought. So I think about some of the best, for example, you know, incident commanders on the cybersecurity end who can really run incident response. Well, a lot of them are veterans, right? Because they know how to command a room and they know how to direct and they are cool and calm under pressure. Um, And that really goes such a long way in incident response. And on the flip side, you know, the, for example, the developer community might not realize, oh, they know Python and we really need folks that know Python, for example, right? How can that you know, apply in the cybersecurity space? So making sure that we're doing outreach to different types of environments, including educational institutes, you know, veteran community, and just really making sure that we're focusing on that diversity of perspective to make us a better organization.
0: I definitely agree with you that, you know, government experience, uh, come, you come out tenfold as far as learning things and being exposed to new things. Those people that maybe don't have the strong background and are a little fearful of getting into a job that might be over their head. When you start with the city, what sort of training opportunities or certification opportunities does the city offer new employees?
1: Yeah, so it's going to depend on the organization, but I know that for us, a heavy investment is made in upskilling and making sure that we have a development pathway, no matter where you are in your career. So that could mean you're cross-training, right? Um, That could mean that we're giving you cloud foundations training because you may know how to do security monitoring for on-premises systems, but when it becomes the cloud, maybe you don't know any of the hyperscales like the Azure's of the world, the Google's of the world. Maybe we need to get you a little bit more hands-on training for that. So it's definitely curated depending on what role the individual's in and then what what their weakness is. It is. And I think it's important when you enter the workforce to know what you're good at and, and where you need to, what you need to work on again trying to make sure that you have a good breadth of skills depending on what your area you're focusing in so it's really going to depend um, but th- what the nice part is we do really invest in training and a testament to that is in the fall um, we launched the inaugural cyber academy class for cyber liaisons within the city um, each agency, uh, is, has designated a cyber liaison. And that was really important for us to make sure that, you know, we're investing in that community of security professionals. And we, we modeled, interestingly enough, we modeled the training off of, um, what the FBI puts their new special agents through to run cyber investigations. How do you take someone who has maybe some IT background and really get them hands-on incident response? Skills in a tangible way, um, and we're—I'm happy to say that that graduation is taking place uh, next week, and it's an incredibly proud moment for me because we've got 21 folks graduating who all now can be, you know, force multipliers for us down at the city agencies, and you know, we're trying in our own way—we're trying to solve the the common problem everyone has and the global, you know, shortage of, of cyber workforce professionals. We have too many jobs to fill and not enough cyber folks.
0: Hector and I completely agree with you. Every week we talk about this. So I think as we record this, they graduate next week. I think as people are listening to this, they graduated on Tuesday. So congratulations to those 21 graduates. Is this a plan to keep going more and more? Will there be more academies?
1: Yes. So the plan is we're going to have um, a spring and a fall cohort. Um, we're going to prioritize the cyber liaisons first and get through all of those. My hope is that we expand the umbrella of the cyber academy program to different areas, including the public. Right, so folks who are interested in getting into this space and and might have you know have met the basic requirements to get into city government for a job, but how do we get them into the cybersecurity field and then place them throughout the city? And then also just in general, the approach is focusing on areas to strengthen city systems as well right so if you think about we're not just focusing on response and recovery from the cybersecurity you know framework we also have to make sure that we're protecting and defending so let's let's focus maybe on the application developer community and get application security champions out there who understand how to like build code, uh, build systems more securely by secure coding practices. So we have a lot going on in that space. uh, But I'm really excited to watch it grow. Um, This is only just the beginning.
0: Yeah, no, this is fantastic. And, you know, Hector and I are both very passionate about, you know, spreading the education through cybersecurity um, and getting young people involved. Um, one thing that we are hearing a lot from is from our listeners is, how do I get my daughter involved in cybersecurity? You know, uh, there's not really a push in the high school level for cybersecurity, or even computer use, in the, you know, in this, the field for, for women. Um, You know, so it's great to see you in such a prominent place and a prominent position. But how do we get more young girls and and,
1: and women involved into this? So I think there's a lot of opportunity for exposure. It's what I find is a lot of times you don't know that what's around you or what's available to you. I wish I would have known about Raspberry Pi back in the day. I think that would have been so cool. And I probably would have gotten to the field s- so much younger than I am now um, if I knew that that was available. But I also think, you know, s- looking for opportunities to engage with like STEM after school programs here in New York city, we've got a lot going on. I mean, obviously, I think Garth's Code is actually headquartered here and even on the nonprofit side, how, you know, focusing on, getting women into the field, I think that, that that type of awareness and also making sure, you know, representation does matter. Um, seeing, you know, having young girls look up and say, oh, I, I, there's more women in the field. There's somebody I know who's doing that and having that, like, mentorship is also part of it. But I would definitely say for the parents out there with, with young children, like, engage your local school district engage, you know, see what you can do about getting maybe a raspberry Pi or, you know, there's some cool stuff in Minecraft too, um, that's going on, you know, to teach people how to code. There's a lot going on out there. It's just making, you know, your, your children available or able to, you know, reach into that, that offering.
0: Is there any sort of, um, partnership between, you know, your office of technology and innovation and, New York City's Department of Education to kind of bring that into the high schools? Or maybe is that something you could look into in the future in, in, in doing?
1: Yeah, so OTI and DOE absolutely have a close partnership. DOE is one of our um, city agencies. And in general, technology across the city in this space, there's heavy, heavy partnerships. I think Battle of the Boroughs is going on right now, which is um, an opportunity to get You know, school children and um, high schoolers engage on technology with uh, partnership with Minecraft. So there's quite a bit going on in New York City. And what we want to do is sort of double down on that and make sure that we're weaving in more cyber specific content and curriculum, not just with schools, but also community colleges, for example, and areas that maybe don't have access or the representation to, to see, oh, cybersecurity could, could be an equalizer for me. Here's the pathway to do it. And so that means partnerships with the nonprofit community educational institutions, for sure, to bring that to a reality.
0: So Kelly, this has been a fantastic conversation. I appreciate you coming on the show. Hector and I are both uh, proud New Yorkers. And we are also, we, you know, he's a former black hat. Now he's a white hat who does his own, you know, cybersecurity firm in New York City. Um, I own my own cybersecurity firm that is right in New York City. We're right by Bryant Park. If there's anything we can ever do to help you, uh, if you just want us to come in and talk to the Cyber Academy or anything, please feel free to reach out to us. Because, uh, uh, you know, we want to keep this partnership going between, you know, Hacker and the Fed and in New York City. It's, I think it's fantastic. And do you have any last words you just want to leave the audience?
1: I am just really excited that I'm that I've been here and to meet both of you um, and definitely will take you up on that partnership and again to the graduates who might be hearing this after the graduation I'm just so incredibly proud to have um, been able to invest in in the cyber academy and that it launched and it will just only continue to grow and grow um, but thank you so much for having me I really appreciate it
0: fantastic thanks so much Kelly So, Hector, that was a really fun conversation with Kelly. I was glad she came on. It really
2: was. I was excited to have the conversation, but I'm, I'm even more excited now to hear that you know, New York City has some good folks running the security program. I'm looking forward to see more of their roadmap and, and more of the programs that they're going to be releasing soon.
0: Yeah, it was good. She was good to have on. We get a lot of questions about how do you get into cyber. It really sounds like you know, New York City is offering some uh, entry-level positions that will train people up. You don't have to have a college degree. You don't have to have the certificates. You know, I, I'm glad we're offering the audience, you know, all these different, you know, options, you know, talking to a college professor, you know, to people in the industry. And I, we kind of continue on that series of talking to different people and giving people an idea of how they can get in, how they can get their kids into cybersecurity. Cause you know, that is one of our big passions.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and for any of you in the audience that are also from New York City or want to move to New York City, if you're great at communication even if you do not have the experience in cybersecurity, I think it's a great opportunity to check out the kind of jobs that they have available. Part of your job, regardless if you're on the SOC team, defensive, offensive, et cetera, will be communication. So uh, you already have a one-up if if you're good at that point.
0: So if you have a question for us, reach out to us at questions at hackerinthefed.com. If you have a person that you think would be great for us to talk to or you know, just a role, and we'll find that person. You know, reach out to us and let us know who you want to hear from uh, or have us interview. So, questions at hackerinthefed.com. New episode every Thursday. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Please share us on social media. Push the show out there. You know, get Hacker in the Fed more listeners. And the more listeners we get, the more opportunities we have to talk to people and kind of spread the information of what's going on in cybersecurity, how people can get inside security, and just kind of nerd out.
2: That's right. Definitely do that. <laughs>
0: Another fun episode, Hector. I'll talk to you next week. All right, my friend. Cheers. All right, cheers to you.